It's beautiful to really understand that we too are part of God's creation. And so the whole point of the books that I write is to speak to the heart of a God who would create people and not use the same shade for all the people that He created. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Darina Williamson is an author, a bridge builder, a speaker, and a co-planter of a multiracial church that has been doing beautiful work in Nashville for 25 years. Her most recent picture book, Crowned with Glory, is an ode to black hair and black girl joy. Darina Williamson, I'm so happy you're on the Habit Podcast today. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Um, so you, one of your topics that, you're, that you speak a lot about, write a lot about, is representation in, in literature, in picture books. Um, and I know that's been important in your family, right? I, I've heard or I read a story that you wrote about your daughter, Chase, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in, a, in a book that was really important to her as a uh, as a small child, um, and that that has sort of paid dividends in her in her later life. I'd love to hear you tell that story, if you will. Absolutely. Well, my sweet Chase is 21 years old now, but when she was just a young girl, about four or five years old, I got her this charming book by Karen Beaumont, illustrated by David uh, Catro, called I Like Myself. Mm -hmm. And on the cover is a beautiful brown girl with lots of spirally hair. And, you know, the, the flow of the book is I like myself. I'm glad I'm me. There's no one else I'd rather be. And mm -hmm. it just goes through this beautiful, quirky, but charming story of this little girl who is just exclaiming that she likes who she is. And for my daughter and for my other three children as well, it was important to give them books that reinforced our faith mm -hmm. as believers in Jesus Christ. I wanted books that would speak to the things that my husband and I were faithfully trying to impart to them. Yeah. But also as black children who were made in the image of God with their beautiful brown skin, I wanted books that had representation where the characters, or at least some of the characters looked like my children. So when they yeah. looked at those books, they got those healthy messages, whether it's about our faith or about the world around them, but they also got representation. Yeah. And, you know, it's well-documented, Jonathan, that in publishing, children's publishing included, that there is a lack of representation. And so for Chase to share with me in later years, how much that book impacted her. Now I knew it impacted her when she wrote in one of the pages, Chase likes his book. So, you know, for your, when your child writes their own note about the book in the book, yeah. that's pretty telling, right? Yeah, right. But for her to, to share as a 20, 21 year old, who's now begun an art career and is studying art to be an art therapist and passionate herself about giving representation. Mm -hmm. It was really touching to me to be reminded of that power and what that yeah. meant to her as a young child and the seeds that planted then that are now being harvested in her own life and work. So it's a reminder to me as a writer, not just as her mom, that representation matters for those children to see themselves and to be affirmed in the beauty that God has given to them. Yeah. I, I, and 
noticed in one of your blog posts or something, you quoted Toni Morrison, and I may be getting this quotation wrong, but but basically, if there's a book you want to read and it hasn't been written yet, you need to write it. Correct. Um, and that seems yeah. very, you know, you, you look around the publishing world and, and see there aren't enough black and brown children in these books. And so here you go, you know, with these books uh, about black and brown children and um, and white children, by the way, right? I, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. My, my first book on the cover is a sweet little girl and her brother and their little white friends. And so, uh. you know, it's important to note that you're featuring children of color. And in my case, in, in all of my books so far, I have lent rich diversity. So mm -hmm. as a African-American woman, absolutely, I want to feature people that look like me. But mm -hmm. my heart as a faith leader in multiracial spaces is to give that rich cultural representation in an authentic way to, to the diversity of cultures that represent the kingdom of God. But these books are for all children, right? Uh -huh. It's important yeah. for all children sure. to not only be able to have those mirrors where they see themselves, um, educator Rudine Sims Bishop writes on this so eloquently about those literary windows and mirrors and why they're both so important. So I write mm. for children like my own that didn't always have those mirrors. I certainly didn't have them when I was a child. Mm -hmm. But I also write for all children to have those windows where they get to look out into the world and learn about other people. And while it's wonderful for them to get to travel and have those experiences or get to experience it in the cities and the communities that they live in, books are such an easy and powerful way for them to look into other people's you know, cultural stories and learn um, things that enrich their own lives. So that's really my yeah. passion and I'm so excited to be able to, to, to give that. Yeah, now do you remember when you first saw a picture book with characters look like you who, who had brown skin? You know, I can't remember the single first instance. Um, I do remember reading some of the poetry of Phyllis Wheatley and mm -hmm. loving, um, you know, learning her story as a, a young little girl who was brought to the U.S. And, and of course, I didn't understand exactly what that meant as a child. It was just uh -huh. sort of displaced, like she was in Africa and then she came here and then she became a poet. And then years later to realize the miracle of her surviving, um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and to be able to flourish in her creative gifts, you know, is, is really nothing short of a miracle. So I remember reading some of her poetry as a child, but the, the books that really shaped my love for reading were books like A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett and Heidi by Johanna Speary. You know, these kind of books that, that featured little girls who were not just skipping along in life and picking flowers and playing with their, their little teddy bears, but they were walking through the loss of parents and really hard things and, and, and beautiful storytelling for sure. But yeah. I look back at that now because I still have those copies. And I, I think a lot about why young Dorena was drawn to those stories and why those are the books that got my heart and not, um, you know, mysteries or, I mean, in time, of course, I, my palate increased, but those were the stories that were my treasures. You know, when I think about what books I love to get lost in. It was, it was stories like that. And I think God used that 
years later, when I got a degree in psychology, wanting to help people, and God has now translated that degree, I, I believe, into the way I give stories and, and share, you know, where, um, you know, children get to see that representation. So, um, you know, yeah. God just works all things together for good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I love the idea uh, you, when you talk about mirrors and windows. I love the idea of, of you know, children of all colors, white children, reading your, your books and, and books, other books that have uh, you know, protagonists who are black or, or brown and, and admiring those characters. I mean, well, I love your book, Thoughtful, the, the one about um, where one of the characters is a Down syndrome boy and, yep. the, and his, his classmates admire him and, 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 uh, and recognize uh, the importance of what he brings to their to their class, um, and it and by the way, it makes. I mean, I could imagine being a child reading that and thinking, "That's right." You know, here's a child who's very different from us, and yet he's admirable, and mm-hmm. he is somebody that that um, that in many. You know, there are lots of reasons we want to be like this person. Absolutely, and one of my favorite things is when I read a book like Thoughtful, which is the the book that I've read the most in schools because mm-hmm. those universal messages of empathy and kindness are, are ones that public and private and Christian schools all want to champion. Right. Yeah, right. And so when I, when I read the book and the, the, the pages are behind me on a screen for the children to be able to see in, in a larger format, mm-hmm. it's wonderful because as I read, I get to look at their faces mm-hmm. and they get drawn into the story. You know, my mm-hmm. illustrator did a beautiful job of really helping children see through a picture book where the, the images they see are just as important as the words, because right. a lot of pre-readers are going to be taking in this message. And while they may not be able to sit and read the words themselves, they're understanding what you're communicating through what they see and in the characters they see body language where you know our our hero ahanu who's native american as well so that's a, a cultural element that i specifically added into that story but he also does have down syndrome as you mentioned and so to see the children drawn into the story and to see their little faces sort of you know filled with compassion when ahanu is mocked by the classmates and then when you know his friend learns with his father's help about how to to be thoughtful and to champion those who are created differently than we are. And so it's a beautiful thing to see them drawn into the story and to pray as I read that they get those seeds, that they get whatever home life they're coming from, um, whatever they're being taught from other sources, that in that moment, that my story might just plant that you know, I should treat my friends with kindness and I should not be a bully and I should not talk down about someone because they look different or their body works differently or their name is pronounced differently or they have an accent or, you know, pick whatever it is um, and, and just pray that God uses it. And again, what a glorious opportunity to be able to be a part of that journey in the heart of a child. Yeah, I love that. Well, I, I, I've trust that writers uh you know this of course is a podcast you know about writing about about the writing life and we have a lot of writers who listen to this this podcast and i trust that that writers are being are increasingly aware of the importance of representation of of representing you know the the panoply of 
you know, the people God made. Um, but I, one thing I wanted to talk to you about that I think our listeners will, will find interesting and helpful is, okay, you know, let's say I am now have a better sense of the importance of representation. Um, a lot of my listeners are not just writers, but white people. <laughs> and I think some of them, I, I'm quite sure some of them are, would, would be concerned about, worried about getting it wrong, right? I think part of the reason um, it, it's easier to fall back on um, what we're more familiar with for fear of, of getting it, getting it wrong. So can you, can you speak to that? Speak to, to white writers about representation of people who aren't white? Absolutely. Well, one thing I've learned from my indigenous friends is the reverence that they give for God as creator. Mm -hmm. And when they talk about our heavenly father as the creator of all things, the creator of all beings, it resonates with me because of the the beauty of of nature and of land and and the things that they treasure and the the painful and the beautiful parts of their cultural story. And when I think of God as creator, as someone who is creating through words, it's beautiful to really understand that we too are part of God's creation. And so the whole point of the books that I write is to speak to the heart of a God who would create people and not use the same shade for all the people that he created. And, you know, people would nod and say, well, yes, of course that's true. But we also must come to terms with the the reality that, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, that's not always been, um, made visible in in books specifically because I'm a writer of children's books. So I would really want our white brothers and sisters to hear, take every opportunity you have to lean in. It's not about doing it right. It's about taking one step at a time. And there are many resources, my books included, <laughs> many um, great opportunities for you to lean in and listen. And I think that that for for all people, this is this is equal opportunity. We all struggle, and I would say Christians maybe more than than people who are non Christians with acknowledging what we don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's the essence of being a disciple. Being a disciple of Christ is being a follower. It's never saying, "Okay, God, thanks, I've got it. I know it all. I have learned everything I need to know about that subject, and I'm moving on." And so, acknowledging what you don't know is such a great example for children. And this is for those of us who have children, but for those who influence children in their churches, in their schools, in their communities, talking to children about the things that we're learning, the things that our hearts are being broken over, the things that we're realizing, I never knew that. I just learned this morning through a news article that there were United States Color Troop soldiers who fought a very strategic and important battle right here in Middle Tennessee in the Brentwood area. I never knew that. I just found that out a few hours ago when I was reading a news article. So information is available everywhere through books, through all sorts of of channels. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us as the big people to acknowledge what we don't know, to lean into these teachable conversations. Are they going to be uncomfortable? They are. But isn't that the essence of following Christ is to deny ourselves and to take up a cross. That is not um, a sign up for comfort and for convenience. It's a sign up for um, discomfort and for denying ourselves. So leaning into 
cultural stories and leaning into ignorance and replacing that with knowledge and God's truth is a healthy and I would dare say a vital part of anyone who is a follower of Jesus, writers included, because our words are informing the minds and the hearts of Uh, let's say the big people, because that's who we're talking to, but I'm writing for the little people as well. And so it's important for us to allow God to renew our minds and to inform our hearts with the beautiful truth that for many of us, we were just not accustomed to receiving it from people of color. So that's another point of um, action is lean into learning from people of color and evaluate your bookshelves and, um, you know, the teachable opportunities in your life, where they're coming from and who you're, you're sourcing them from, who you're passing yourself to listen to. And if that's not richly filled with, with people of color, then lean into the opportunities. Um, you know, I have a beautiful concordance that Dr. Tony Evans just released a few months ago, you know, so that's an easy opportunity when I'm studying the word of God to learn from, you know, this theologian, this wonderful man of God, who was created in the image of God as a black man and brings that part of who he is to his theological work. So I could go on and on, but leaning into the opportunities with, with grace and truth is so important. And I, I can't encourage it enough. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I, th- I think, you know, we have it in our heads that somehow the writer's job is to be authoritative and to somehow tell people, you know, let me, let me tell you what I know or whatever. And I think such an important part of the process is saying, I don't know. And I need to, I love the way you put it, that we need to be followers, we need to be disciples and yes, and be taught and, and not necessarily position ourselves as the authority, but to say, you know, what, what can I, or, or to impose, I, I think we're so unaware of the extent to which our, you know, cultural, we, we mistake cultural proclivities and, you know, for universal truths or something like that. Sure. Absolutely. Of course there's universal truth and, and there is a reality, you know, that, that I did, you know, I, I'm not being a relativist here. I'm just saying, saying we, we don't have access uh, to the, to the full, uh, we, we need each other is all I'm saying. Right. Yes, we do. Hearty amen from me. <laughs> and, you know, it's also, I think, important for us to remember, and I reflect on this often because I write for children, that Jesus answered his disciples' continued questions and arguments about greatness with centering a child, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They would argue about who's the greatest, and Jesus would bring a child in their midst and say, if you want to be great, be like this child. Yeah. And so I, I say that to us, I remind us of Jesus's words, you know, and, and a child is continuing to learn. And John describes us as children of God. And I love that, yeah. you know, that he calls us children of God as a reminder for us as disciples, as followers, as pupils of Rabbi Jesus, mm-hmm. um, that we are his children and that we are ever learning and that that's a good thing. And as I said, for those of us who have children in our lives, it is such an important example for them to talk to them about the things that we're learning, to show them the books that we're reading and to, to remind them that learning is, is a lifelong pursuit. How would that impact that child struggling with algebra or struggling to read, to form their words or whatever subject matter. Um, 
I was influenced as a child by a father who was working on his bachelor's and master's and doctoral degrees while I was a child. And I treasure seeing my dad with his Greek note cards. And, you know, he, he would t- tell us a few of the words, alpha, gamma, delta, you know, he would yeah. talk through, you know, but we also understood that dad was struggling and he was honest mm-hmm. with us. We knew his story that he'd been kicked out of college. And so that's why he was working on his collegiate education and his graduate degrees while he and my mom were raising us. But that was a treasure for me as a child because I saw a dad who was learning alongside me. Yeah. And I believe now he's a learned man with with doctorates and and speaks all over the world. But I treasure as a the child in me that my dad was a student and he was learning and he shared his struggles and we shared in his successes. And that example motivated me for the struggles and the successes that I would have in mind. So yeah. I really implore us to, you know, rest in the the work and the education and the accolades that God has graciously allowed us to receive, mm-hmm. but that those things not replace our pursuit of, of the knowledge of Christ and of, of continuing to be um, truly disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, you know, I think it's so important that we, as, again, as writers or just as, as people, that, that we are that we give an account of what we've actually seen with our eyes, right? It, it, what we've actually observed. I, I think we get it in our head that somehow, if we're going to tell a story, it, it needs to be a story that is already figured out, or you know that, that we already know going into the story, you know what message we're trying to convey, or, or what whatever. And, and I think about it, as Christian people, if we believe that the world is shot through with meaning, then we can just tell, give an account of what we've actually seen. If that makes sense, you know, that, that, we, that we have it in our head. And you, you said earlier, I think, you know, Christian people are, even have a harder time than non-Christian people, perhaps, of admitting I don't have it figured out. But as I think about, um, you know, representation as, as a as a, in my case, a white person, you know, as I look around at the world, um, when I'm really honest about what I've seen around me, what I see is people who don't all look like me, right? Is I, the, the world is a very, it's a various place. And somehow we, we end up filtering out the world and, and, and making the world in our image, making God in our image. Um, when openness to what's really there is a, is a, I don't know, I don't know why I'm suddenly having a hard time expressing myself, but, but this, this openness, um, I, th- I think we, I guess what I'm getting at is we don't even realize the extent to which we're not open to the realities around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, life is such a gift. I think, as we are continuing to work through a worldwide pandemic, mm-hmm. I believe it has caused an increased reflection of the preciousness of life mm-hmm. and the stewardship we have with what God has given to us and the opportunity to really impact hearts and minds with the words that we craft, reminding ourselves that we are not the source. Mm-hmm. that the source is above, you know, every good and perfect gift does come from above. And so um, it, it really is, you know, to, to your point, such a 
it, it's important reflection. And I, I felt like you were really reflecting as you were talking it out. And I think that that's so powerful because I don't know a writer that doesn't write from the heart, that doesn't put their whole self into the things that they are, are putting on paper. And I think sometimes people forget that, you know, that, that this is coming from the lived experiences that we've had or the things that we're trying to figure out. We are sharing those figuring outs with the world so that other people can come along on the journey with us. And we can say, Hey, I'm trying to walk through this. Join me. Let's dialogue together. Let's learn and grow together. Um, That's certainly what my, my passion is in, in sharing these stories and saying, you know, let's celebrate a little black girl who is born into a loving family and spends her life cycle growing in confidence and style Mm -hmm. and realizing that she is, she's part of God's beautiful creation. And she owns that in confidence and in celebration, you know, inviting other people into that story that has been my journey. That was my children's journey and that I am excited to share with the world, you know? So that's, that's really the joy of, of, of writing is crafting stories and invite people into the journey of life um, and, and give them the lens that, that we see it through. Mm-hmm. And um, while we also posture ourselves to continue to be wide open. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, oh yeah. Wide open receiving again, what the reality that, that actually is, a, you know, the, the reality of the world that we live in. And I guess to, I was saying a minute ago about the importance of seeing, you know, giving account of what we, of what we've actually seen. And I know you, um, you write and, and, and talk about the idea of colorblindness is not an appropriate goal. You know, there's no area of life where cultivating blindness is a good idea. Um, That's correct. <laughs> so, um, and it's especially for a writer, you know, it's so important that we, that we see what we see, that we see what, what's around us. And, um, and so, um, and, and I, I will, uh, I'll be, you know, I will admit for mid, for much of my life, I thought the way to approach, to approach um, diversity is to be colorblind. And, and, and I've since, you know, realized that that's, that's not like, again, we, we don't think blindness is good in any other area of life. So why do we think colorblindness is good? So I, I know you've done a lot of thinking and, and talking about that. Um, so tell me more about that. Why it's a, why it's a bad idea to cultivate colorblindness. Well, that passion, and really it was color, colorful. My first book was really born out of that passion. And it, it was sourced from some agitation that I had mm-hmm. as a black mother who was very careful and specific to raise my children to know that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. That verse that we love to quote, that we teach our children. We wear it on our t-shirts and put it on plaques in our homes. I wanted my children to know that you are fearfully or wonderfully made with the skin that God said was the most beautiful shade just for you. There's no oops. There's no accident. There's no inferiority about the way that you were made. And yet my brothers and sisters in Christ, many of my white brothers and sisters were echoing sentiments. As you said, I'm colorblind. I teach my children not to see color. Well, I don't see color. I just see the heart. And that sounds really good because that allows us to avoid any conversations Mm -hmm. about skin color, um, about race, about ethnicity. And yet 
in our society today, I have beautiful little brown children in my church who, as preschoolers in the suburbs, are hearing horrible things from other preschoolers. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, kids just say the darndest things. Kids just mm-hmm. say stuff. And they don't really know what they're saying. Well, perhaps, but when you consider what that does to the heart of a young child to be told by another child, I won't play with you because you're brown. Mm-hmm. You know, what that says to them in a world where they're already looking around and going, okay, you know, am I, am I okay? Do I fit? Do I matter? You know, or as my daughter said, do, should I like myself? Yeah. And so I approached that topic in my book, Colorful, with a teachable conversation, really with the, the same type of heart. I, I, I modeled it after the parables that Jesus gave, where he used objects and stories that were relevant to his first century listeners and audience. So a mustard seed, well, we may not tell stories with mustard seeds because it's just in our cabinet, um, for his audience, that was relevant, you know, to talk about a sower and different soils and, and, and the seed falling on different types of soil or or a fish, you know, um, Jesus was relevant and he spoke in parables, you know, these simple stories with these rich meanings. And so I felt this passion to help people understand the need to, to celebrate color and not be colorblind by using a teachable conversation Mm -hmm. as I would with my young children that I taught them to see color when they were forming words. I specifically yeah. taught them that the sun is yellow and that the ocean is blue. The ocean is not red. The sun is not purple. You know, we, we, yeah. and we commended them when we realized that they had attained that knowledge. Okay. Yeah. So you get that, you know, you know how to pick out your clothes because you understand colors. And of course the beauty and colors and the nutri- nut- nutritive value of fruits and vegetables and all of these things, we are careful as parents and grandparents and influencers of children to impart that wisdom until it comes to the, to the topic of skin color. And then we get uncomfortable and mm-hmm. say, well, I don't see color. And the truth is children do see color. Now there are segments of people who actually are colorblind, like they have an actual medical label of color blindness. So this is not to, to shame or to impart anything away from that. But the point is that children do see color because we teach them to, we teach mm-hmm. them the beauty of colors in all of creation. And this is a biblical conversation, you know, in wisdom, God made them all. We read all through scripture and we glory in the beauty of God's creation. So why, when we talk about skin color, do we then default to colorblindness or not seeing color. And I believe it's because it's an uncomfortable conversation for many people. Again, I was careful to talk to my kids about their beautiful skin color because I knew what kind of world they were growing up in. And I knew as my parents knew with me, they needed to be affirmed. They needed to be um, taught that they are beautiful because they're going to grow up in a world that may not always give them that message. So I would say to our white brothers and sisters that, um, you know, saying things like you don't see color or you just see the heart sounds good, but that also says you're not seeing me for the full person that God created me to be because I'm not a shell and we're not clear. We all have beautiful differences in our skin color. And I continue to remind us that that was God's intentional creation. And that if we're not teaching that to our children and reminding ourselves of that, then we're leaving them and our own hearts open to harmful and shameful messages that will fill their hearts with evil, with intent about 
you know, inferiority and the things that we can see in our broken cultural stories that people were regarded as less than human and therefore treated in the way that they were because those biblical doctrines of the Imago Dei, of Psalm 139, 14, on and on, were not seized and captured. So it's important. It's it's beyond just, I don't speak that. It, it really speaks to the heart of, of foundational biblical truth. Yeah. And so um, I... I would love my book to be a companion, you know, for people. I mean, they're teachable conversations at the end of Colorful to help guide parents and and church leaders and and whoever's influencing children. But it's an important message for adults as well. Yeah. You know, I I think when when we say, uh, when a white, when a white person says, I don't see, you know, I'm colored, but I don't see color. I think what they mean, the, the idea, the unspoken idea is I see black folks as if they were white folks. And that's, that's not great i mean it's not it's not helpful because there are very important differences i mean i have to put on a certain amount of lotion on my skin because of the way that god created me because Mm -hmm. that ashiness you know that lack of 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 moisture is going to make my skin look ashen and look Mm -hmm. look gray um whereas you know we've had joking conversations with some of my white coworkers about trying on clothes and they're like, Oh my goodness, you know, I'm so white. I haven't gotten any tanning cream. And I'm like, tanning cream. Talk to me about that. Cause you know, melanated sister doesn't know anything about tanning cream, you know? So we'll have fun conversations about those differences, but even about things like hair, you know, about the fact that we use different products and why, and, 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 and the, the differences in our hair textures and all of these things, whether we have a lot of hair or our brothers always say, well, how about those of us that are going bald, you know, and, you know, we're all fearfully, wonderfully made, whatever amount of hair or type of hair we have. But these are important conversations, you know, that, that we need to have. And, and yes, I think when you say that, I'm sure some of your white listeners were kind of like, that's, that's not what I mean. But if there's discomfort in you saying that, then that's where we lean into that. We don't dismiss it and say, well, I'm not uncomfortable with that. So never mind. I'm going to just push that away. Um, We, we do not grow by pushing away uncomfortable conversations. And I don't know any parent that Mm -hmm. trains and disciples their children by just pushing away discomfort. No, you lean into it. You say, okay, let's talk about why did that make us uncomfortable? And for many people, when they begin to understand, and I I think that's why colorful has been so widely well received because when you talk to people about it, you see this dawning, you see this, Oh, okay. I can see why it wouldn't be helpful to say I'm colorblind. And then when you help them understand the beauty of seeing as adults and teaching our children to see people in their full humanity as fellow image bearers, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. We have such an opportunity because we understand from the creator who created us in his image, right? So we have even a more glorious opportunity to lean into that. And so um, obviously I could talk about that all day, but um, I'm I'm so happy that you, you touched on it because it's really, really important, Jonathan. Yeah. I know, I know God sees your heart, but I can't see your heart. I can just see your outside include, you know, that that's what I can see. And and, and so anyway, yeah. The, all right. We haven't been talking about your, your, we keep talking about your old books, but your new book is about black girls hair. Yes. Um, yes. I've, I've thrown it in there a few times. Yeah, I, know, I, so I, 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 I heard you kind of nudging me in that direction. So uh, <laughs> uh, tell me about that. Why, why are we, why do you have a book about black girls hair? 
Well, let me just say I'm delighted to talk about the body of, of my work and I cannot be more thrilled. I feel like a child when I think about the privilege God has given me to to plant these literary seeds. Um, it's it's so delightful to get to share these stories. And Crowned with Glory is truly from the pages of scripture. You know, Psalm 8, we've, we know that Psalm, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And, you know, verse five tells us that God has crowned us with glory and honor. And so I thought about how a woman's hair, I mean, a man's too, but certainly in scripture, when scripture talks about a woman's glory is her hair, that we talk about our crown. Mm -hmm. Literally, people will talk about their head and their crown. Mm -hmm. And so I just started to envision a story of a black girl who learns from the time she enters the world that she is crowned with the glory of God and what that would look like as she grows up and owns her own confidence and style. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt passionate about sharing a message that would infuse my culture and my faith. Uh-huh. Like that's really my happy space to be able to say I am a woman of faith and I am a woman with a beautiful culture and it is all a part of my humanity. Mm-hmm. And I want people to see that and celebrate that. So that's what crowned with glory is. Um, it's a celebration of, um, you know, a black girl rising into beauty and confidence and grace. And I believe it will encourage children of all races of all ages and hopefully uh, the big folks too, to really own that we are all crowned with God's glory. Yeah. Well, I, I love these, the specificity with which, I mean, you know, it's, you're, you're really talking about uh, hair products and going to the salon and, and if, you know, I, I, it's just a lot of fun. And thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I I did an episode of this podcast with Show Baraka last year or the year before, and and you know he he was talking about he fills his house with with art that shows you know the beauty of of black women, black black men, black children. Reads his his daughter's books about the beauty of you know black girls, and then he. But then they go out in the world and are faced with messages that that make them feel less confident in their their own the way God made them and um, and I I love I, I just love that here here's another book in the in the in the library affirming the beauty of, of black girls and and as you said not. I, how do, how do we talk about this? It, it, your book is about black girls. As you said, it's relevant to other people, but I, I love, I just love this reflection, um, whether you're a black girl or not a black girl on the beauty of, of black girls and, and their hair. And, and I, I just love that, that you've, that you've added that to the, to the, to the library. Yes. Yes. And to, to your point, it is a book that would help anyone be empowered mm-hmm. Um and love who God created them to be. So they're getting to see that and receive that message from this young black girl, but it is not just for black children. And so again, to, to my point earlier about those literary windows and mirrors, you know, children are going to learn wonderful lessons and be inspired and, and, 
and and get joy from from reading books and getting those messages. And it's really important for white children to be able to get those messages from people that don't look like them as well, you know, because that strengthens their awareness of the people around them. And in the book, you mentioned, you know, um, spreads about going to the salon. And this is going to give children an opportunity to enter into the world of other people and to see, oh, okay, so this is what it might look like. Because all white children may not darken the the doors of a a beauty salon that's focused Mm -hmm. on black hair care. And, you know, there may be some listeners who kind of are feeling, well, why do we even have to talk about these things? But, you know, it's relevant for my everyday existence when I go to the nearest grocery store to where I live. And last I checked, they don't carry any hair products specifically for black hair. Mm. So if I need to just, oh yeah, I need to get some more bread for my daughter for school. And, um, oh, I need some more milk. And my husband asked me to get his favorite bag of snacks. And then I remember I need some of my hair gel while I'm at that grocery store, I can't get that product for myself. I have to go somewhere else. And so, you know, these are, are relevant topics. They've always been relevant. We've just not always had those opportunities as, as black creatives to tell our own stories and to share things that are a part of our everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, the book is filled with experiences that, that all children will have, you know, she goes to school, she goes to college, she's in the library, she's studying on her bed, but you know, she's taking out braids, you know, or her mom's trying to help comb her hair and she's got this scowl, like it hurts. (laughs) And while all children might relate to that, you know, a child with fine straight hair may, may not be able to relate to, I mean, mama having to spend hours helping to Mm -hmm. put braids in and using oil to help make twists and to do the creative things that God allows us to do with our hair. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the book, there's delight to be gained in looking into the world of someone whose culture is unlike your own, because in that is another way for children to learn. And so when they go to school and they have a black classmate, instead of looking at that classmate or filling the gap of any culture and going, their hair is different or their food or the way they dress or what have you is different from me. And because it's different and I've never seen it before, I'm going to classify it as a negative. Mm-hmm. And this is what children often do, right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. see something that's not like them if they're growing up in in, in a community where um, you know it's majority race, so they they aren't seeing people of other colors or other cultures. Then when they do see that, they think it's negative because it's different. Mm-hmm. And the power of stories like mine will help them see it's not negative. It's just different, and different is good. Yeah. And different can be curiously explored in a respectful way. You know, you mm-hmm. can ask questions, you can become a friend and not treat people like they're a pet or like, oh, can I touch this? Or, oh, can I, yeah. you know, but you can lean into learning and living and growing together in a world that's becoming increasingly multiracial. I think yeah. stories like this are even more important. Yeah. You're being generous when you say children look at the difference and see it as negative. That's, it's not just children, right? It's not just children. And children are receiving messages. They're being discipled, whether parents call it discipleship, whether they're parents of faith or not. 
Yeah. And parents are giving what they've been given. So for a lot of us as adults, it's acknowledging that we've not been given many messages about this. And maybe our parents didn't know, or maybe they did know and they were taught hate. You know, those are hard things to reconcile. And I've walked with brothers and sisters in Christ who are, you know, painfully reconciling. They they can't control their family story, but we can control how it influences us and what we hand to the next generation. Yeah. yeah. So my, my prayer is that we will allow God to search our hearts all through Psalms. The psalmists say, God, search my heart like a surgeon. See if there's anything wicked in me. Mm-hmm. And if we joined in that prayer and really meant it, and when God pointed things out lovingly, as he does, that mm-hmm. that's a call to repentance and a call to turn. And in the turning, you can insert so much good that's found, yes, in the pages of books. Um, but the, God's truth is, is beautifully on display for us to just receive in that wisdom. And, and we can walk in it and really do beautiful things for God. That's great. Thank you. All right. I always end these episodes with, with this, the question, who are the writers who make you want to write? So the oh, I would say in the children's sphere, the writer who makes me want to write is Carol Boston Weatherford. She puts out such amazing work. And my favorite book of hers is called The Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful display of the Beatitudes that is very skillfully uh, weaved with the stories of. African ancestry. Uh, and it's just masterful. I pull it out. It's a picture book and I pull it out often just to encourage my heart. Mm. And so it's a reminder to me that children's books don't just influence young hearts, but they influence older, mature hearts like mine too. Yeah. So I would say Carol is my, um, she is a person who's writing deeply influences me and reminds me of the power that I can have. Good to know. I will, I, I don't know her work, but I will I will round it up. All right, Dorena Williamson, thank you so much. This has been a delight. It has been. Thank you so much. I hope it's been an encouragement to those who are called to craft words and uh, to all of us. Well, it's been an encouragement to me, and I bet it will be to our listeners, too. Thanks, Dorena. Thanks so much. Absolutely. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at the Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at the Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.